This is the Home Health Revealed podcast. Here's stories from real industry leaders discussing topics affecting the ever-changing home health industry. Hey, you're listening to Home Health Revealed. My name is Mike Greenlee. I am your host and I have my co-host here, Hannah. Hannah, what's up? Hey, are you done Christmas, Christmas shopping? Uh, yeah, we're done, I think. Are you, did you do it online or were you an in-person shopper this year? You know, I, I haven't bought any presents. The wife, uh, she's very good. She likes doing that. And so she handles that for us. Okay. So do you know what's in the packages or do you just wait till Christmas morning and go, oh, well, in fact, she actually brought her own presents home. It's like, hey, this is what you bought me. I was like, man, I'm pretty good at this. Seriously? Yeah. But you're still going to surprise her with uh, something, right? No, I'm going to wrap them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's, that's how, great. That's, that's how we roll. All right. Well, hey, if that works, at least she knows she's happy with it, right? Yeah. I think she'll be good with it. I mean, she's she's happy. She's, she's a good gal. So now, we got a guest today, right? We do. We have a really great guest with us today from Home Care Association of Florida. Patty Hyde. I have met Patty. She I like Patty is a lot. fantastic. I do too. She is HCAF's Director of Clinical and Regulatory Affairs, and she has been a physical therapist for over 28 years, with 26 of those years in home health care. While she began her career in the acute care hospital setting, she fell in love with home health. And during this time at HCAF, members have really grown to depend on Patty as just a steadfast resource to help them navigate the industry. I mean, this industry is ever-changing, and, and she is just a dynamite resource. Yeah, you said like 20, 25, 26 years, is that right? 26 in home home health, but 28 years as a physical therapist. Well, Patty, you, you've been doing this for some time, but I, I've got to ask you this question out of the gate. See, Let's see your experience. You ready? Ha- Go right ahead. Do you know what a fluffernutter is? It's what I call, it's the nickname for my cat. We call her Fluffernutter, but I don't think that that is really what a Fluffernutter is. <laughs> I think it's a coffee drink. They're all good guesses, but. <laughs> what is it really? I, I found out that the Webster Dictionary, you know, every year they bring out some new words. And this year they brought out 455 new words. And one of them was Flutternuffer. Not Nutter. Flutternuffer. <laughs> nutter. Flutternutter. Flutternutter. <laughs> Five times fast. No kidding, right? <laughs> and uh, so I was like, well, that's an interesting word. What, what what could that mean? It is a sandwich made with peanut butter and marshmallow cream between two slices of white sandwich bread. So I don't think you Sounds can. Sounds like you need a big, tall, cold glass of milk to go with that, too. Yeah, yeah. and an exercise regimen. Yeah, and I, don't, <laughs> I don't think you can use wheat either. It says white, white bread. bread. Sandwich bread. Mm-hmm. So And, and also uh, dad bod made the list too. So I was pretty excited about that. But then after I heard the definition, I was like, I'm not so excited about that because it's a physique uh, a, a regarded, uh, you know, man, an average man, especially one that is slightly overweight and not extremely muscular. Did you feel attacked? I felt offended. <laughs> well, for that, all the dad bods out there, right? Because you should be proud of a dad bod. I think that's a good survey question. We should ask how many dads think they have a dad bod. Based off that definition. Um, and we Sounds like you have the next episode for your podcast. I think we do. So, so Patty, I do appreciate you so much being a, a part of, of this podcast. And, you know, our goal is to educate uh, everyone that we can within this field of, about the importance of what we do and, and what the industry provides. And, and we thought, you know, when we went down to your conference, it was so fantastically put together. So grateful for you to be on the call. So I wanted to ask you just out of the gate, Tell me a little bit about why state associations exist and and what's the value they provide to agencies? So, 
you know, I, I can tell you, I can speak to the existence of state home care associations of, in relation to not only being on the association side of things right now, but having been on the provider side of it. You know, and at this point in time, there is just so much information coming to a provider at rapid pace and from all different directions and regulatory authorities, state, federal, intermediaries, just, and then in the midst of all of that, they have to care for patients, right? So with all of that, our job really is an association and kind of a, how I believe associations kind of take their place within the industry is by being the, the go-to resource for providers. You know, our job is to take all of the information that is out there, filter through it and determine what providers need to know, what's something you need to think about for the future and what's something you need to address right now today, the breaking news, you know, that's a hot topic. Um, and we encapsulate that and we put that in front of them in a variety of formats. And then for those that need more information or need more education on a topic, then our job is to create education to support that need and to put them in a place where they feel like they're ahead of the curve and they're ready to take on whatever challenges are coming around the corner next. And then most importantly, I think, because they're so busy running the day-to-day -day operations and trying to provide quality care in a compliant manner, they need somebody to be their voice at the state level, at the federal level, somebody to help um, be a middleman between them and the fiscal intermediate area if they're dealing with a particular issue. And so our job is to, to be that connection um, between all of those entities and to be the voice of the providers, to let them know what Florida providers at large are dealing with, what are the issues, what are the challenges, and, and how can we all come together across the care continuum to be able to support not only the providers, but those that they care for so that they can deliver quality care in a patient's preferred setting, which is their home. So, so much valuable information that comes out of HCAF and state organizations. And I know that HCAF is truly an advocate for home care agencies. And with the pandemic, with all of the rules coming down the pike, how does it look when you're sitting around that table? How does HCAF siphon through all that information so that they can serve it up to their members so quickly? Depending on the day, some days it could be like we're drinking out of the fire hose, um, you know, with just so much coming at you and, and having to be able to turn it around quickly so that relevant information is getting placed in front of providers and our members in a timely fashion. Um, I will say, and I'll kind of pat ourselves on the back a little bit, um, I believe we have first and foremost top-notch government affairs team, and they are the ones that have their pulse on everything that is rapidly changing and evolving within the industry. We have a small team. When you look at our team in comparison to other similar state home care associations, we are a small team, but I feel like we are very mighty. Yeah. Um, we are a team that works well together. You know, nobody works in their own silos. We all wear many hats. We overlap as needed. You know, where if somebody has a need, somebody else can jump in and quickly pivot. Uh, so I feel like our team is very nimble and able to pivot in what is a rapidly changing environment. But most importantly, and I kind of alluded to earlier, I feel that we as an association, we have very strong ties with state regulatory authorities, um, with authorities at the national level, with the fiscal intermediaries. Um, and so with having those good working relationships with those 
with those groups, I feel like we keep the lines of communication open. And so, again, that just kind of helps have the providers, but then also to kind of have our, our ear to the ground, so to speak, on impending changes and to be able to kind of, you know, get that information uh, to help our providers stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, you mentioned your team and, and you got a mighty team. I, I would have to agree with that because we had the benefit of going down to your conference this past year. You had a fantastic attendance. So it made me think, like, that's got to be a lot of planning and execution, right? Because, I mean, these people are coming. And when, when you go about designing these conferences, what's the purpose and the benefits that, that agencies get from these conferences? Well, and, and first, I want to say thank you to Health Rep Partners for being a part of that conference. Um, and, and I'm happy to hear that you found it to be a great experience. You know, when it comes to the design piece of it, I think most importantly, we listen to our providers. We find out what their needs are, what are their pain points, what areas are they struggling in. And then from there, it really is a group effort. And, and planning, we know sooner end one conference and we're planning for the next big summer conference while we work on all the other events that we host in any given year. And so again, that nimble team that I talked about, I feel like, you know, we're at a point now where we've all worked together long enough that we are now kind of that well-oiled machine. We know how to adapt at a moment's notice. And, and if anything was evidence of that, I will say when you look, if, if you thought 2021 was, was a great event, you know, 2022 will, will only be that much better, I believe. But um, in going when the pandemic hit, waiting to determine, would we be able to be in person or would we have to pull the trigger and, and switch it up to a virtual event? And we hung in there as long as we could to like the 11th hour, trying not to pull that trigger, and then finally the writing was on the wall, and we determined, okay, we are going to have to go to a, to a virtual, an all-virtual event, and in a, what I can only term as a very, very, very short window of time that we had, we were able to turn it around, and while all virtual events are, are very challenging, to say the least, um, and, and, and not optimal compared to an in-person event. We, we did our best, and I felt like we really worked very hard and very quickly to pull off an all-virtual event in 2020. So, you know, kind of that, again, having that nimble team that can, you know, work well together, um, I, I felt really helped us design, you know, a, a bend and then moving forward, you know, as we start to move back to in-person events. Yeah, I tell you, Zoom, I, I, I've done so many Zoom calls that I actually had to get one of those lights to make me look more tan. Because I was doing so many of these things, I was like, "Man, I got, I got to, I got to change my lighting around here." When you look at, you know, you're hearing from agencies that that are part of your association about the challenges that you know NOA was was causing. What 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 challenges do you see coming pretty quickly here in 2022? Well, you mentioned the NOA, and and, and for those maybe listening that are not familiar with that, that's the notice of admission that's coming in in 2022. Without a doubt, that's definitely going to be a challenge. Um, but when you look at the flip side of the NOA, right, um, one of the benefits or one of the things in, that you can check off in the plus box is that 
the NOA is only going to be submitted at start of care, and that's going to cover somebody over all contiguous 30-day periods of care until the individual is eventually discharged from Medicare services. And if you compare that now to the current no-pay wraps that providers are having to submit, they currently have to submit a no-pay wrap with each 30-day billing period. And so while the NOA has some challenges associated to it, that's one that we can check off in the plus column. But from what we're hearing from providers, you know, I think there's some trepidation about being able to file and have that NOA accepted by the MAC within five days of the start of care. And mainly because we're talking about calendar days there. There's no business days. There's no leeway for holidays. Um, so providers are really kind of feverishly working right now to fine-tune their current practices with the no-pay wrap so that they can make sure they're in a good place by the time the NOA starts at the beginning of 2022. Otherwise, I think a lot of agencies are really realizing that if they don't have their, their operations in place, it can really affect their financial outcomes, especially in the case of, of lupus and managing those episodes. Um, and if that NOA is not submitted timely, it's really going to cost them. And one thing I think that there may be a little hiccup for providers, and I think that providers have to remember when it comes to the NOA, when they have patients that are receiving home health services currently in 2021 and if those continuous episodes cross over into 2022, providers need to remember that they're going to have to submit a one-time NOA. Because remember, we said it was only, you only had to submit it at start of care. Well, these are existing patients now that are continuing on with care into 2022. How do you handle the NOA? So they have to remember that they have to submit a one-time NOA with an artificial admission date that corresponds to the from date for that next 30-day billing period that's going to start in 2022. So if I'm currently seeing a patient now, and on January 3rd, let's just say that their next 30-day billing episode is going to start, so that from date is January 3rd for that next 30-day billing period, then they are going to need to submit that one-time NOA for that patient um, with a, a date of January 3rd. So that's just kind of one of the challenges, um, and, and I think the industry caught a little bit of a break when uh, the final rule came out and it adjusted the, the national rollout date for value-based purchasing. So instead of, you know, it's starting in 2022, we'll have that. 2022 will be the pre-implementation year with 2023 being the first performance year. Even though Florida has been participating in the demonstration um, all the way up until the end of 2020. I feel like this break allows them the ability to focus on some other things right now, such as the NOA or the vaccine mandates or the continuation of RCD, because um, come January 1, Florida will be now starting cycle three of RCD. So, um, you know, providers are, are needing time right now to prepare for that. In fact, Florida currently is right smack in the middle of their selection period for cycle three. So all providers and anybody that's listening in, if you are a Medicare certified provider in Florida participating in RCD, then you need to be making your selection for cycle three, whether you're somebody that is a newly certified provider and you're just going to be starting in RCD come cycle three, or if you are a provider that's been participating in it, everybody needs to go back into e-services and make a selection. Um, if you don't make a selection, 
you're going to default to one of two options depending on what category you fall in. You, know, you definitely want to have the ability to make those selections rather than having Palmetto make the selection and you defaulting to one of their default options. Speaking of 2022, I want to know if you can tell us any insider information about the conference in 2022. What are you most excited about? Well, you know what? Quite honestly, what I'm most excited about is that, again, if you thought 2021 was great, I envision 2022 to be even better. Um, you know, hopefully as we continue to turn the pandemic corner, um, I think more and more providers will want to, to be at an in-person event. So I envision being able to be together with industry colleagues you know, in person, face to face. So I'm very, very excited about that. I know we were excited about it in 2021, but to be able to see even more people in 2022, I think will be fabulous. As you know, we're never at a loss for things to talk about or to educate on in this industry. As we said earlier, you know, information, new information is evolving almost moment by moment. You know, of course, our education, I think, will be timely and relevant. I think we'll be talking about things like Medicaid issues, minimum wage, reimbursements, staffing shortages is another big one. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, the vaccine mandates, OSHA mandates, NOA, the national rollout of value-based purchasing, and of course, the ongoing RCD demonstration. I think those will be all hot topics of conversation. But I think even more so, and I don't know if you guys saw it when you were there last time, so on um the second to last day that evening, we hosted a, a welcome, or not a welcome reception, but just like a happy hour reception for all, all the attendees to, to come on out and just relax, kind of talk with everybody in, in a relaxed environment, you know, after all that learning that had been going on. So it was really nice to see everybody, a lot of laughing. And we had giant games there. Everybody was playing all the games. And then, but most importantly, we had puppies. So I don't know, are either of you big animal fans? So Patty, my my wife had me buy two golden doodles that are now like four months old. These these dogs, I'd say they're great, but they keep me up. Well, you know, come on out in 2022. Maybe you might you might go home with a puppy. They they might need another little friend to keep them keep them company. That was an awesome little event, though. That social gathering with puppies. Like, what brings people together after a pandemic? Better than puppies. Well, exactly. <laughs> and what what relieves stress levels more than a nice little furry friend giving you little kisses? And so, we're hoping to work with the Pet Alliance of Greater Orlando again to to try to replicate that again. So, um, hopefully, you, know, you come on out and you might even go home with a little furry friend. Oh, I'll be there. Maybe I can pack it back <laughs> on the plane. Would you you have dates for that? Because I don't know if you know this, but I actually left my family on vacation one day earlier because we had vacation, and then I I, I wanted to be at the Florida show, so I my wife had to travel with all three kids uh, back home. I was like, babe, I will do a better job next year. He's gonna plan around age. Cash. So I'm I'm planning around <laughs> your conference. So you just let me know when it is. Shoot me a text. You don't have to say it on the line if it's confidential, but. You got you got to shoot me a text. I can't do this. I can't. I can't leave the family on vacation again. Well, I, I don't want HCAS, you know, coming between you and your wife. So I will share those <laughs> things with you now, 
And I'm so thankful and honored that you, you know, gave up family time and vacation for, for HCAF and for, you know, Florida providers to be there and be present. So thank you for that. But let's, let's not cause further marital strain for you guys. So we have pre-conference workshops on Tuesday, July 19th. So that's kind of just kind of the warm-up. Everybody gets a little bit of education under their belt if they want to come in early. And we have some specific topics. We're, we're working on the actual agenda as we speak, so we'll be finalizing all of that here, hopefully in the near future. But the main conference then will take place on July 20th through the 22nd, and then we have a trade show in the middle of all that that runs on July 20th and 21st. Uh, attendees will not only have the ability to come out and learn about great things that are going on within the industry, but they'll also be able to meet with all the great associate providers and, and vendors such as yourselves that, you know, have a lot of great information and resources and support that you can offer Florida home care providers in, in helping them run their businesses in a, in a more streamlined and, and compliant fashion. Um, and all of that's going to take place at the same location we were at in 2021, which was uh, Hilton, Orlando, Buena Vista Palace. So if you wanted to, you know, you can kind of kill two birds with one stone. You could bring your wife and your kids along with you. And we're right in the heart of Disney. So they can be doing Disney or Universal while while you're attending the HCAP conference. That's what, so my family did that this last year. They, my husband drove down, it's a 16 hour drive. He drove down with my three little kids, met me there. And then we spent the weekend going to Disney three days. We went Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we drove home Monday. It was so fun. Oh, yeah. Well, and I have to say, you all have some pretty pretty amazing spouses to be doing some of the things that they're doing and driving 16 hours like that. That's awesome. Yeah, I do. I, he even bought a new car. So I had totaled my car right before we came. He bought a new car and drove it down for me. Nice. He probably, he, I'm going to make him listen to this just so we can hear that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, well, some about Hannah's, not only did she total her car, but she was still on time for the meeting. That we had. I was like, Hannah, oh didn't you just total the car? She's yeah. like, yeah, but we had a meeting. So I was like, well, you are a dedicated woman. I That I am. Or crazy. Well, Patty, we know that you guys listen to members. That was so apparent when we were down there. And you really take all those things into consideration. There are a lot of policies that have been really top of mind. Recently, there's been so much coming out. The vaccine mandate. One of those things. How has HCAF really played a part in affecting policies and then providing practical resources to agencies so that they can pivot on a dime and implement these things they need to to maintain their compliance. Listen, at, at the forefront of everything we do, I just feel really feel like trying to you know affect policy change and advocating on advocating for providers. It, it's just at the heart of everything HCAP does. There are just you know, in any given day, a provider will have just so many things pulling their attention. Again, like I had said earlier, it's our job just to to be the ones to be their voice and have our fingers on the pulse of the industry for them. With our government affairs team that we have, you know, they're the ones that take the lead on all of that. In fact, they're launching. We have a home care day at the Capitol in Tallahassee on um, coming up on January 18th and January 19th. And really, that's our opportunity as an association to work hand in hand with the home care providers 
and we meet, we take them and we meet with um, state representatives. We, as a group, we advocate on behalf of the industry and letting our representatives know, you know, what are, what are the issues at hand specific to our industry? So what are the challenges and what are some of the solutions we're hoping to see? So we, again, that's where we partner hand in hand with, with uh, providers. We also will arrange, from an advocacy perspective, we'll arrange in-home visits. If there are providers that want to meet with their local representatives, we help coordinate and go out with them on in-home visits so that these representatives can see firsthand exactly what our providers do day in and day out and all the support and services that they do in, in again, what is the most cost-effective setting in which to do it. We have many calls to action um, that you'll you'll typically get from Kyle, who is our government affairs director. He will send out calls to action if there are specific things going on within the industry at the time where we need providers, and not only not only those with, that work at the office, but all of their field clinicians or whoever you know they know and they can pass the information on to. We ask for them all to get involved and have their voices heard in a and with these calls to action. It's a lot of times it's just a very simple click of the mouse and they can take action that way. You know, we basically, it, we're there too from an advocacy perspective for providers that are struggling with certain things. And if there are particular issues where we can be the bridge between them and the local representatives, we, we make that connection for them so that, you know, they can hopefully bring some sort of resolution to whatever the, the issue is at the time that they're dealing with. Patty, I, I hear all the time from, from a lot of agencies that the number one concern they have right now is recruiting you know, talent clinicians. What are you hearing? What are you hearing around the, the, the state of Florida of, of what their top three concerns are right now or challenges agencies are facing? Well, I, I'd have to agree with you on the number one right now. The, the number one, without a doubt, is the staffing shortages. Um, I think staffing in home health has always been a challenge. And I think it's just kind of that Thing that was always kind of lurking then, you know, marched in the pandemic and that was just the fuel that added to the fire. And before you knew it, staffing shortage is at a point now where, where we've reached critical limits. And so knowing that that is one of the, the main issues our providers are dealing with here in Florida, we've worked at HCAF to, to try to come up with some some options or avenues that would help alleviate those staffing shortages a little bit. Um, first, we've we've uh, worked to develop nurse uh, delegation legislation. So what that is, uh, legislation that would allow for a nurse to delegate additional tasks um, that, that they deem appropriate for a home health aide to do that are beyond what their current abilities are. Um, and of course, it would, you know, the aides that would be performing these tasks would have to go through necessary required training and competency. Um, and then they would have the oversight and supervision of the nurse delegating the task. But that would help offload some of the strain for nurses to know that aides are um, at a point where they have a higher level of training and competency to assist with some additional tasks that don't necessarily require the hands-on of the nurse. Um, but of course, again, the nurse would be supervising all of that. The other thing that we're working on is emergency access to telehealth. Um, there's an act that addresses this that will help agencies, you know, by allowing them in an emergency where if they needed to complete certain patient visits through 
tele- the use of telehealth, that they would actually get reimbursement for that. Unfortunately, right now, the way it stands is that while telehealth visits are permissible, they're not reimbursable for home care. So, again, we're trying to see that in an emergency, at least for the for the for the short term, in an emergency, if they were to provide services using a telehealth visit, that. Um, they would be reimbursed for those services. And then finally, another big thing here in the state of Florida, we have currently, there's a regulation where if you have nurse contractors and, and you're providing nursing services to a patient or a client, the initial, the start of care visit or the initial discipline evaluation or the discharge visit, the, the regulations state that they must be performed by an agency W-2 employee. Contractors cannot perform those visits. In our minds, a nurse is a nurse. If you are licensed um, as a, a nurse, you should be operating and performing services to the full scope of your nursing practice. There is a home care traveling nurse visit advocacy um, and legislation that's awaiting introduction at this point. But we feel by allowing agencies the ability to take um, their contractors that they're working with and allow them to not only perform revisits, but to perform start of care visits or initial discipline evaluations and discharge visits, again, that would help alleviate some of the stress on home health agency nursing staff by um, providing them with that support and allowing nurse contractors to be able to do a little bit more. Um, then the, the second thing that I think providers are struggling with right now is, well, it's been something we've been dealing with all along for, for many years now, or at least since I've been in home care, shrinking reimbursement and cost increasing. But I think it's more readily apparent right now, especially, again, given the, uh, the pandemic and rising costs for supplies and testing and all of that good stuff on top of the recent increase in minimum wage. So here in the state of Florida, current minimum wage is $10 an hour, and that's set to increase a dollar a year up until 2025 for a total of $15 an hour. $15 an hour. With that being said, from a Medicaid perspective, Florida home care providers have not seen an increase in Medicaid reimbursement rates in a very, very long time. So as minimum wage is continuing to rise, and you're dealing with competition from the Amazons of the world who are already paying $15 an hour, that not only, you know, exacerbates the the staffing shortage um, because now we're losing good caregivers to the Amazons of the world, but, you know, provider reimbursement is shrinking and, and we're losing staff and we can't if we try to pay them more, how are we going to keep our doors open? Or do we have to now step away from Medicaid services and no longer offer that because the reimbursement is not um, adequate to meet, you know, our demands from, from our costs? And so now potentially you're looking at an impact on the beneficiaries that are in need of skilled services in the home and potential access issues and, and them not being able to receive those services. So that's the second big issue, I think, going on here in Florida. The third, and it's kind of the elephant in the room, I would say would be the vaccine mandate. Right now, I think, you know, providers are finding themselves in the middle of the proverbial rock and the hard place. It's a very emotionally charged topic, both personally and professionally, as well as politically. 
providers are seeing, you know, you have your state mandates, you have your federal mandates, and we're waiting to see kind of how everything plays out in the courts and, and how does this affect us upon survey with the conditions of participation or should OSHA walk in our door? What should we do? You know, do we prepare now? Do we wait? You know, and, and at the forefront of all of this, providers, they're, they're, again, they're trying to care for patients. They're trying to keep their patients safe. They're trying to keep their staff safe. You know, and they're really kind of feeling right now like they're darned if they do and darned if they don't. Again, they keep asking those questions, do we do we prepare or do we wait? And really at this point in time, what we've been advising our members is to say, you know, while we wait and see how things play out in the court, don't wait. Don't just sit around and do nothing. Like at this point, you should at least be looking at your staff, knowing who's fully vaccinated, who's got the first shot and waiting to get the second one. Are there those that have a religious or a medical exemption, you know, and making sure your policies and procedures address all of this and, you know, making sure that the exemption forms are complete and, and those individuals are in a good place so that depending on, on what happens in the court system, you will be about as prepared as you can be, maybe 75, 80% prepared. And just waiting for, you know, the, the final word so you know, do you pull the trigger and move forward and, and finish finalizing everything on your, your agency's end? Or, you know, is there another path we have to take? Great, great reasons. The top three, I mean, that was fantastic. You know, and, and on top of that, we, we talk with a lot of agencies that are, that are struggling with their collections. So you add all that on and then you have the struggle with getting getting paid for the services that you're doing. It, it, it just really puts a lot of pressure on agencies to, to plan and, and, you know, if they're short cash flow, that, that hurts them too. And so how do they plan for the future? And, and there's just a lot of things they're juggling right now. So just love the what, what you guys are doing. I love your vision. I love the way you guys are innovating new ideas. And, and, and really helping agencies. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Patty, how do you see associations playing a part in the future with things that are coming? Well, you know, as we talked about over the years, I mean, this has been an industry that's always been subject to change and cuts and, you know, constantly evolving. Um, and because it's, it's ever-changing and, and rapidly evolving, you know, I had I had mentioned earlier where management is stretched thin and there's so much going on and it, it's so hard to stay on top of it all. I envision associations, if they're not already, that they, they, they need to be and should be an extension of a home health provider team, so to speak. It's our job, I feel, to be, we have to be keenly aware of the struggles that they're dealing with, their pain points. Um, as we had said earlier, we need to be their voice because they're so busy doing so many other things in a given day that it's, it's our job. We need to stay on top of and review and digest all the bits and pieces of information and all the regulations and get it out to the providers and get it in front of them in an easy-to-digest manner and, and keeping it timely and relevant. So, you know, we've got to keep pedaling the bicycle, you know, yeah. for the providers and, and making sure that, that we're, you know, on top of all of the information um, so that, they can stay better informed, their staff can be better informed, and the better position that they're in, then they are going to be the best partners along the care continuum within their community. So I, I feel like we play a role in that. With that being said, it's, it's basically our job to be that one dependable resource, 
you know, with just a phone call or an email away so that they don't spend two or three hours trying to filter through and figure out the regulations because kind of going back to my days at the agency level, um, I remember, you know, clinicians would come in and say, well, over at XYZ agency, they do it this way. Or when I worked for another provider, we did it that way. And quite often we'll get calls from providers saying, you know, what's the answer on this? And it's our job to be able to help them find those answers and back it with with regulatory information um, and to be able to point them in the right direction so that they can kind of filter through all the noise of how things should be done and, and provide them with, with regulatory information on this is the requirement and this is what you need, need to do to be compliant. They just don't have the luxury of time to kind of put up their feet and you know, sit back and read through all the litany of information that's coming their way, they should know that all they got to do is shoot us an email, pick up the phone, and know that we are going to, to provide them with the supporting regulations. And if we don't know the answer, they should know that we have the connections with the industry experts or the regulatory authorities where we can help track down the answer for them so that they can take their time and focus on running their business and caring for their patients and keeping their staff safe. And hopefully in the end, we save them time, we save them manpower hours, and and hopefully save them some money too. Well, Patty, I am so thankful that you took time out of your day to, to spend with us during this podcast. The information that you've provided today is just, is just unbelievable. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm honored that you are on this call and thank you so much for doing that. And, and for those that, you know, are looking at joining, um, the association and I think we got some information for, for the Florida association. Don't yeah. We? I will post some links, um, in this podcast. We, we encourage people to reach out to their state association, but I will link specifically to the home care it's homecarefla.org in these show notes. So that if you want more information about getting involved in the Florida Home Care Association, you have that. Yeah, for sure. And for those that, that aren't part of Florida, uh, you know, I highly encourage you to, to call your state association. You can see what they do. Um, they they all care about your agency and you being successful. So if you're, if you're not part of an association, I encourage you to, to at least make the phone call, get some, get some idea of what they provide and the benefits of that. And I strong, strongly encourage you to, to think about joining. Uh, you, you know, this is our last, uh, this is our last show of 2021. I know it's kind of sad, but I'm also excited about 2022. Yeah. 2022. I mean, why not another 12 months? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> you're such a, you're such an optimist. Nah, I, yeah, no, I'm great. Well, I really appreciate everyone for, for listening. Uh, yeah. and we'll come out with our, our other show our next show in, uh, January. Yeah. So between now and then have a Merry Christmas and a happy new happy year. Happy new year. Thanks Patty so Take much. Bye-bye.